Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 26th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And there is no shortage of topics to talk about. We have the trade deadline coming up on Monday, February 29th in three days. Uh, we already have some big trades to talk about. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks defending Stanley Cup champions, making a move to reacquire one of their former players, which they won a cup with in Andrew Ladd. We have the uh, Rob Scuderi trade. Yes, he's been traded twice this year. And the team that is acquiring actually thinks he's going to help them. So that'll be interesting to talk about. We also have uh, a Braden Coburn extension in Tampa Bay which I think will impact the Jonathan Druin trades, and we'll talk about why I feel that way. And there is also Ali Mata's extension in Pittsburgh and other Pittsburgh trade talk uh, and plenty of other stuff. So we're going to lead right off with uh, defending Stanley Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks, picking up a very good winger in Andrew Ladd, and uh, I think he's going to help them out quite a bit. Yeah, it sucks for the rest of the league. Chicago have have shown a a great usage of of player assets and draft assets to um, continually be able to recycle that roster around people that uh, the management staff have decided are the key pieces to to keep. Um, they managed to rotate people in and out. You can make an argument that they've sold out for this season in a, in a sense, like they've really gone for it. But you can't blame them for that. They've They've got a player that's going to give them top six left left wing minutes, and it was an area that they'd been concerned with all year since Patrick Sharp left. So you can't, you, you, I don't think you can fault Stan Bowman and his management team in, in the construction and, and how they've gone about doing this. I mean, they managed to move the immovable trade as well. Yeah, um, yeah, with Patrick Sharp leaving and not getting much. In return for him, they got Daly, who they shipped off to Pittsburgh for Skidari, who they got Skidari and shipped off to L.A. today for Christian Erhoff. There's there's a lot going on there. Uh, we'll focus on the Andrew Ladd part of it for right now. Uh, first round pick, Marco Dano. You know, that's for a rental, that's, that's a big price. Yes, the first rounder is going to be, well, they hope it's 30th. And, you know, who am I to bet against them? <laughs> Marco Dano, uh, I still think can can have an impact in the NHL, even though, you know, he goes from Columbus to Chicago now to Winnipeg, his third third team, and uh, historically speaking, prospects that change hands that often early on don't usually materialize. But I think, uh, you know, he could he, the the book's not written on him yet. There's there's still promise there, but. Andrew Ladd, very physical, can play in all situations, good player. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the next team to give him a contract, but Chicago doesn't have to give him a contract right now. So they're going to be really tough with him. You can argue the you can argue uh, asset management here if they get bumped in the first round, but. You, you, you do get there and, and go, well, they've won X amount of cups in X amount of years. Why not give it another crack and see if you can, not that anyone's not calling them a dynasty now, um, to really cement their place in, in history of, of one of the best-run franchises through 
the last 10 years. I mean, you think about how bad Chicago was before they got Kane and, and Taves and, and how hard it was to fill up the madhouse on Madison. You look at it now, and that franchise is set for the next 20, 25 years uh, in regards to attendance. Even when all the players in this call leave, that franchise is set because of, of, of the way Bowman's uh, run this organization. Yeah, it's, what a change it's been since those days. They used to get about 8,000 in that 22,000-seat arena. It, it's pretty crazy to see that transition. goes to show you that it's not market, it's winning. That, yeah. Hey, look, that's, that, that Madhouse of Madison was built by Michael Jordan. Chicago Blackhawks were just tenants. Not that, anymore. That's fair. Uh, but, man, Chicago, they... They just make the moves, I tell you. I'll tell you what helps, though. You know what helps? What? Signing some KHL guy for under a million dollars that absolutely <laughs> tears things up. They didn't have to trade for him. They pay him under a million dollars. I'm, of course, talking about Artemi Panarin. That opens up avenues to be a little more risque with the, with the trade assets. That it, Having Panarin making that amount of money is just a cheat code really then it allows you, know you to do some other things what is funny with that cheat code that you're talking about is that chicago got the benefit of the cheat code in regards to the deal they got to pay keith and the deal they got to pay hosa and then was it that year or did kovalchuk do the next year and they put in the the change in this i can't remember what it was but you get there and look at those those deals and Chicago would have a lot tougher time on the cap if those players were getting paid per year what they should have, as opposed to having those backdiving contracts. So Chicago have worked the system beautifully, and there is uh, a, there is skill and there is luck in finding a guy like a, a Timmy Panarin. Yeah, that one's that that's that. Did any? I thought he would be okay, but I I didn't predict that he was gonna quite just blow up the way he has. Did you? No, I don't think Chicago would have. I certainly didn't. I was the same as you. I thought he'd be okay. Um, and you, you always sort of question how he was going to go towards the end of the year. Um, he's dispelled any concerns for me in in regards to that. Uh, for Chicago, it's just a matter of making sure that they stay healthy now the the rest of the way. I. I to be honest, they will beat themselves. I don't think they will get beaten. Yeah, he's got 22 goals, 35 assists, 57 points in 61 games. My, oh, my. So how can he not win the Calder? Um, if people just don't want to vote for a 24, 25-year-old. Well... Some people don't view the people that have played professionally for multiple years and coming over as worthy of the caller. I kind of think it's a little bit silly that he's eligible for it. But that, that, this is the thing, though. The way the rules are constructed, he is a rookie in the league is, is the way it's decided. So he's been by far and away the most consistent and, and best rookie of the year. Um, you could argue Connor McDavid has been awesome, but he's been out for a long time. So unless McDavid makes that gap close and actually drags the Oilers 
out of 29th and gets them to say 25th or something, then I don't know how you can't give it to to the bread man. I just don't understand how that works. Yes, he's eligible for the award, and if so, I think he is the front runner right now. I just wish they would amend kind of the rules for it. I, I can, I, you know, that argument I'm, I'm on board with. It's just the rules are allowed now, and you, you have to reward by the rules that, that are left out in the system as they are right now. They could change them at the end of the year um, or at the next CBR, whatever it is they have to make those declarations. But for now, the award is what it is, and this might happen more often because players might be late coming into the league. So, Andrew Ladd's just one piece of the puzzle for the, for the Blackhawks. And they shipped off another piece in Rob Scuderi. Uh, Those words are going to haunt him for the rest of his life. I, well, they can't haunt him too much. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, and that's to be applauded, and I'm sure he's incredibly proud of that, as he should be. Exactly, yeah. There's no taking that from him, and, and you know... Rightfully so. But he's not an NHL player anymore. Somehow the Blackhawks have moved him. First they acquired him to get rid of Trevor Daly, who wasn't working for them. Trevor Daly has worked so far for Pittsburgh in the sense that um, he doesn't drive possession all that great, but he does actually put up points, something Scuderi has never and will never do. So from that regard, the Penguins are better off for making that trade. Chicago makes that trade to get cap space. The cap space leads to acquiring somebody like Andrew Ladd. Now they find a taker for Skidari, move him off. They don't have to pay him uh, the whatever they owed him for next year and get to acquire Christian Erhoff, who... You know, he his play has dropped off um, since concussions with Pittsburgh. His, his his level of play has dropped, but I would argue for one point five million on an, on an expiring contract, there's still potential there to be a, an okay bottom pairing defenseman in Chicago. I want to say there was some salary retention for this deal that came out later in the day. It, yeah, there it is. Chicago's retaining 50% of their portion of the Scuderi contract. But if he keeps getting traded, the team that he ends up with last isn't going to be paying any of his salary. If he gets traded to another team, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll just quit with all this. It's just, it's just, it just must be so hard, like... You know, I think I said it last week, to, to be in Scuderi's situation where it's just, he, it's almost like the, the Wiley Coyote. He ran off the cliff and he's been hanging there and hanging there and hanging there, waiting for the car to drop, and it's finally dropped. And it must be hard to, to go through this after, you know, being considered and, and actually being a, a good NHL defenseman it would be it would suck but once again it's chicago it's chicago coming up with something out of nothing i mean they weren't happy with the first move they made in regards to bringing daily over so they they moved him on 
Um, they managed to, to have that happen by getting a contract back that was cheaper because they didn't take that entire contract on. Um, and because their portion of that contract was smaller when they moved it on and, and kept some of it, it's a smaller amount filling up dead cap space. It's like, well done. Well, I don't understand what LA get out of this. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. It's a different mindset in, in that organisation than most. So that one confuses me a little bit for LA. Apparently, I read some things. They think he's great in the room, and you know, yada 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 yada. yada. So Pittsburgh, who won a cup with them, you know, bought on that. Now LA's going back to that well. It's going to end the same way for both teams. He's yep. a terrible player right now. No offense, but he is. He's not an NHL caliber player anymore, and I think it says a lot about the Pittsburgh organization that they played him that long. Not that they had him on on the books because Ray Shero did that and they had a new regime and you can't really it's it's really tough to move bad contracts in in the league even though that he's been traded twice this year. <laughs> but there's salary retention on both. Yeah. But there was no rule that said Pittsburgh had to actually play him 18 minutes a night or whatever it was, and they did it for a long time. And I think that's pretty damning on 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 the Penguins' part and probably going to be damning on L.A.'s part if they play him a lot as well. Did, did Rob Scuderi play at all under Mike Sullivan? Oh, um... Yeah, he must have like, played a little bit, maybe. Like, so two, two or three games at most, and I reckon that's all it took for Sullivan to go in that room and go get rid of him. And who knows? They might have had that deal on the hop for a little while and were just, you know, fine-tuning it in regards to how much salary they were willing to retain. Um, but it's a situation where this team, the, the Penguins team, skates a hell of a lot more. If you're trying to find an environment where Scuderi could work, LA would be hit. They're a slower team. They don't play as fast. The transition game doesn't have to be there for Scuderi to try and get up and down the ice and get into position. So if the heavier style of what LA does helps with Scuderi, it might not look as bad as what you and I are both thinking it will be because I can't see him doing any good in the playoffs if they play him in the playoffs. He did not play for Mike Sullivan. He was actually traded... After Mike Johnston's last game. So Johnson got fired after the LA game. They traded Scuderi. They then got the new coach with Trevor Daly. So Daly's played all the games through. Okay. I thought there were a few like you did, but apparently not. Yeah. No. So it's it's, it's one of those things where um, it's like uh, Le Cavalier, I, I thought, might be able to work in LA because they play a little bit slower. You know, it's one of those things with when he was playing with, with Philly is that it hasn't really mattered who's been coached. The, the coaches wanted the team to skate, and, and he just doesn't have it in his legs anymore to do that. The brain's there, um, and the hands are still there, but he just can't he can't skate, and, and that slows everything down for the rest of the team. So it'll be interesting to see whether Scuderi can go in there, fit back into a system that he does know very well. A lot of the players he'll be playing with, um, were there previously, so it could work for him. I may be trying to make the best out of a bad situation here, but 
Yeah. He's staying. <laughs> you may have a slow system or whatever you he's he's not an NHL player anymore. He's but just not. They're probably going to play him, and that's the thing that, like he said, was damning for that Pittsburgh organization. They didn't have to put him on the ice, but they did. It's incredible how much time they gave him. Look at their score-adjusted Fenwick since dropping him. Yeah, there was a coaching change, but you know what? I'm not so sure the coaching change was like as important as the personnel changes that they've made. One of the one of the arguments you and I always sort of put down with this year's iteration of the Penguins was they couldn't they couldn't get the puck to the people that needed it with speed, and Ian Cole was a problem with that. Uh, ben Lovejoy is a problem with that, and Rob Scuderi was a problem with that. So half of your back end can't get the puck to where it needs to go. And you're right. As soon as they got there and and, and got Cole out of the lineup, um, got Daly into the lineup. Um, and they've now brought Pouliot up, everything looks a hell of a lot better for that forward group. And who knows, if this had all happened to, for Mike Johnson at, at game 18 rather than 27 or 8 or whatever it was, he might have saved his job because he might have gone back to the system that looked so good the previous year, which was an aggressive attacking system that allowed players with the puck to do stuff with it. So... <sighs> He's cost the coach his job. <laughs> yeah, pretty sense. much. Um, how did we get onto this topic? So, Very. Uh, yeah, I don't get it for LA. I, I, I just don't. Um, I get why. I, I get why Chicago want a depth defenseman with Airhoff's skill set. Um, whether or not he ends up being their number six come playoff time, or whether he's just the injury filling. Yeah, but they, they they don't have to have Scuderi for another year. Airhoff's done. No, I know. I know. So they, they free up that room that they might want to go back to Lad for. You know what I mean? If they want to try and squeeze him in, every every dollar counts with, with teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh, um, Tampa Bay, all those teams that are nudging the cap, all, all that all that really does matter. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they balance that. Now, if my math is correct, P- Pittsburgh initially it's... took... 33% of his 3.375 mil. Right. right. So Chicago's taking half of what's left over. So that's like another 33% of the original contract. Right? He's, he's going to have to make sure everyone pays him. He'll have to chase all the clubs. <laughs> So I think LA is going to be on the hook for what 1.1 million dollars for Scuderi, which doesn't seem like a lot. But then again, you're you're putting him on the ice. That's a problem. In theory, but if Airhoff was sixth defenseman, you look at how Chicago went last year if they had as their bottom pairing. Then you know it just sucks for the rest of the West. Who would have thought? Twice in a year, Skidari, the unmovable man, got traded twice. You know, I was adamant that he wasn't going to get traded. I just no way, and it's happened twice in eight weeks. But both both times salary retained, so diminishing returns for whoever has him. 
True. This is, yeah, that's that's true. So, yeah, Chicago, they're, you know, barring injury, which, by the way, this whole dynasty thing, uh, they've had no real huge injuries that have prevented them from competing. In fact, the injury last year to Patrick Kane was what allowed them to make trade deadline deals that actually almost helped them, whereas some of these other teams that have been able to build rosters where you thought they could compete. Yes, I'm kind of, you know, referencing Pittsburgh. The Chicago just hasn't had the injury thing. So if they stay healthy, once again, they, they seem, they look good. They look good, ready to go. You've, you've got to be good to be lucky, but you've got to be healthy to be good. And and being healthy has been one of the biggest things that Chicago has gotten away with. So, Kudos to all the training staff and all the management there in regards to um, managing the players through the year and making sure that their training cycles fit with the schedule and don't burn them out and keep them healthy enough. Like, you know, Joe Quenville has his detractors, but he obviously knows how to keep his players mentally fresh to not put themselves in situations where they're going to get killed. So it's just, it's a franchise that you sit there and just, all you can do is tip your hat to how they've done it. Um, they've primed themselves again, and it, it would be very surprising if they don't get to the Stanley Cup Finals again. Even if that means they have to play LA in the Conference Finals, I would still take this Chicago team over the LA team this year if it got to the Western Conference. Yes, I think Chicago's back to, to being the, the team to beat. Although Anaheim... Anaheim's interesting. They have the ability to make some moves. We'll see what they do at the deadline. But yes, I, I think Chicago is, you know, back to being threatening a lot. Yeah, yep, yep. Oh, it's, it's good. Hey, the way this has all gone for Chicago is how Pittsburgh fans hoped Pittsburgh's run would have gone. That's probably the best way I can look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, shifting to the team that Chicago beat last year in the Stanley Cup final, uh, they made an interesting move today. They re-signed Braden Coburn for three more years, and I want to say it was, was around dumb. three point something or another million, right? 3.7 million. And in their official press release, they're referencing hits and block shots and stuff. So that's never a good sign. How many more years did you say? Three. So they've kept him till he's 34, and he already is slowish. So me reading into this, why I find it interesting is they have another defenseman on the roster that I think they want to shed the salary. And that's Matt Carl. He currently is the top paid defenseman on the team at $5.5 million, And that's for another two years. Jesus. And I don't... He actually scored a goal tonight. I just saw a little gift pop up on Twitter. But... 
besides that goal. He, you know, he's certainly underwhelming for that amount of money. Yeah. Uh, that's a million more than Anton Strawman will make for the, <laughs> the next. One of the... It's currently more than Victor Hedman makes at 4.0 mil. So what I'm thinking that kind of signifies is a few things. One, either we don't think Stamkos is sticking around, so spend the money anyways. Or when they trade Jonathan Druin, and from the last time we talked on the podcast, Eiserman has said he'd rather move him sooner than later and by the deadline. I have a feeling Tampa may try to package Matt Carl with Jonathan Druin as a package to kind of save them salary. It may diminish the return, but they may use it as somewhat of a salary dump as well. Yeah, that that would that would make sense. I thought Coburn might have been the more movable asset for that, if you know what I mean. I thought that might have been more likely. Um, but Well, yeah, I had my fancy yeah. Tampa Bay-St. Louis trade based on that. Yes, you did. That's right. Well, that blew up in my face. You never know. They might attach Coburn to it. Who knows? It's, it's just that's the thing at the moment in that so much can change so quickly with everything that's going on. You just, I just don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen, what general manager is going to be crazy enough to give away two second-round draft picks for uh, bum defensive players. Like, you just, I don't know is basically all I can say. No, this this time of year is... There's always a few that you just... It's unpredictable. It's what, NHL trade deadline is one of the better ones in the uh, professional sports in North America. A lot of action, usually. Yeah. So I, I just... I, I thought the Coburn extension was interesting when... You know they kind of want to move Matt Carl, but how bad do they want to move him, and do they want to really diminish the return they get on Jonathan Druin, who I do think they'll end up trading by the deadline. I do think that'll yeah. happen. So we'll see. I just I don't know what to expect over the next couple of weeks. Huge few days for the Tampa franchise, though. Yeah. I mean, no, I, like st- I, I still don't agree with the, the whole not trading Steven Stamkos thing. No, I, can't, I, I literally can't work that out either. I'm not exactly sure what they're thinking. I know he's got with no that. movement clause, but like, how bad's the destination got to be to where he invokes that? Any team trading for him as a rental is going to be a playoff team. They just look. They should have. They should have done this earlier. They should have had him sign before the start, or they had him traded at the start of the year. And when he did have him, whatever. But it's just like, come on. Because, you know, he's just going to walk, I reckon. 
certainly looks that way. Oops. Right? I mean, is there anything pointing to him staying? No. no I, I, let's see. They go all the way to the Stanley Cup and they win it. He walks having won the Cup there. Probably would go to Toronto then because he could go home and try to be part of the rib. But we've made arguments against that, against him doing that. But if you've gone and won the Cup, why would he not go and do it? Because I'll just throw bucket loads of money at him. So take it and go. You, you get there and it's, yeah, I just, it's almost like it feels like Eisenman just thought, I'm Steve Eisenman. It's just going to happen for me because of the pull that I've got in regards to who he was as a player. That's how it feels. Whether or not, I just just seemed like an arrogant way to handle this on, on management's behalf. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. I think the Stamkos Druin combo. How? What? What is it going to look like when both are gone? And how much is in return? And that, this is the thing. Like, Tampa might have to just go for it this year because I don't know whether the keeping the triplets and then replacing Stamkos with a couple of other players to f- try and fill his counting stats is really going to cut the mustard, if you know what I mean. So, oh, I just... For a franchise that looked like it was really tracking in the right direction, that Ryan Callahan contract and the Matt Carl contract really put a bit of a handbrake on sort of the direction of what they were doing. More so the Callahan one. Yeah. Because that one goes... Forever. For another four years after this. Jesus. Hate to criticize a hometown boy, but it's not, <laughs> it's not a good contract. No, it's not. Yeah, you know, goes to show you what a fine line there is, and and how you balance assets. True. Good um, grief! You know, you know that conditional late, that, that conditional third round pick that Winnipeg have got. They only get that. They only get that if Chicago wins the cup. Does it drop to anything, or is it just no? Enough? That's it. Conditional. Must win, or they don't get it. I find that baffling. Still a good, good move by Winnipeg. He wasn't. Yeah, they got something back for a player that they weren't going to put into their cost structure. So I'm not complaining about that. It's just that's such a specific clause. It's not like, you well, know. They were going to put him to... in his cost structure. They offered six by six. He didn't want it. Yeah, I don't think he wants to play there anymore. Well, there you go. Off you go. They got something back for a player that doesn't want to be there. Helps that you're not in the playoff hunt, but... This is what happens when you've got a no-trade clause at the end of a contract. Terrible. Winnipeg did did well there. Um, Another team that I thought did well today and kind of took me a little bit by surprise, not not that I was surprised the player was resigned, I just wasn't expecting it today, was 
Pittsburgh signing Ali Mata to six years with an average cap hit of what four point zero eight three mil? Yeah, something four, like that. Four, four point mil plus change. Yep, I think that Pittsburgh did really well here. They did. It, it's it's one of those things where um, if if Marta stays what he is right now and does not improve moving forward, that contract is still fine. If he gets better, like everybody is expecting him to, because he's he's not getting over um, cancer and dodgy shoulders then this deal will get better and better as time goes along. They'll have him wrapped up until he's 28. By then, this current window of whatever Pittsburgh is trying to do will probably be closing, and then they can either trade him in the last year of his deal. I think he's only got an eight teams he, he, he can't be traded to clause in his contract. He can then move on or, or stay, depending on the situation in Pittsburgh. So the timing of it all works out really well in regards to the length, the cost, um, and where it leaves Marta at the end of the contract and where it leaves Pittsburgh currently. I like teams that do this kind of contract too. The You like to skip the bridge and just pay them now. Yeah, but not pay them like huge, huge. No, no, no. That's, not, that's a lot of money, but it's spread, so it's not too bad. Like Roman Yossi, uh, Klingberg in Dallas. Uh, I wrote about... Jonas Brodin in Minnesota in October of 2014. I actually had an article on Hockey Buzz where I was like, pay attention to this deal because this could look like Ali Mata's. And wouldn't you know it, they're almost identical. Because what happens is if you don't do something like this, you get PK Subban. Yeah, I think Montreal. I mean, I still... People say, oh, well, you know, the bridge deal, you got him for really cheap. And it's like, well, you know, not for nothing. But was it really so difficult to see where he was tracking? You could have had him on eight years for six mil. Now you got him for that at nine because you needed those two years at three mil. Yeah. So yeah. Ali Mata is clearly not P.K. Subban, but. Who is? But I, I, I like the teams that say, all right, let's skip the bridge deal. Here's a lot of years. Here's pretty okay money. And, um, you know, I think it works for both. And I think the important thing here is contract ends when Mata's 28. So he still has another big payday left if he earns it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's the timing of it, the length of it works out really well for everyone involved. Um you hope for Pittsburgh's sake that Marta does overcome the injuries that he had in the last 12 to 18 months so that when he hits the offseason this year, he, his physical development um, allows his skill development to move forward. Because he, this year's really been a plateau year for, for Marta. Um, he looks, looks like he's struggling with his skating. So it'll be interesting to see you get to the end of the year if he was injured, um, if he was carrying something, or if he just felt flat because of the issues he had in the last 18 months. Yeah. Ali Mata's a little bit difficult to analyze in the sense that there's a very high perception of him, uh, a very good 
you know, everybody considers him to be a very good draft pick, and and I do agree with that. That I don't think there's much debate there. Twenty two overall, you're you're getting a really good player in him at that at that draft uh, price point. Uh, was great with Matt Niskanen during that time period, but I do think there's a certain faction of people that watch the Penguins that maybe gloss over uh, some of the rougher edges that he's shown lately. So he's not, he's not firing on all cylinders right now. That doesn't mean he's not one of their better defensemen by any means, but like you said, some of the skating looks a little bit slower, especially he's been burned a few times and and I don't want to use isolated plays because I think you can run into trouble, both good and bad when you just kind of single out some, you know, plays that are very visceral that you remember. I, I know we've bitched about that on the podcast in the past as means to criticize players. So I yeah. kind of want to steer away from that. But I don't think he's anywhere close to playing at his potential ceiling right now. No, look, it's 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 a it's physical. You actually you he already was a very vertical skater when he's he already was very tall when he skates, but he looks even more upright at the moment when he's skating, and he doesn't look like he wants to push through his skating stride at all and actually have his leg fully extend when he's trying to push off. So if he wasn't as cerebral as he is, he would be out of the league at the moment watching because he would get burnt so often because he catches up on angles. He makes up for the lack of speed on his angles and his ability to see what's happening before the other players around him do. So if they can sort out whatever's going on with his lower body, um, he'll be fine moving forward. But for Pittsburgh right now this year, he's being played as a number two. And in reality, he's probably their number four with what he's done. I'd like to see Dumoulin get a crack with um, with Latang, but they won't separate Marta and Latang. I, I don't think. Um, I've said it before, and I'll and I'll say it again. I think he'll end up being Paul Martin. He will be a ridiculously good number two guy who makes the number one guy even better than what he was. I mean, you look at Latang now that he's got a partner that thinks the game well and can and can give Latang the confidence that Marta will be where he needs to be. Um, Latang has been unreal since that change. Yeah, and you said Paul Martin, and I'm going to argue that Mata's shot is way better and his offensive production at even strengths a, a little bit better. Oh, possession, possession stats aren't quite as good as Paul Martin, but Ali Mata's tracking at uh, a top four possession, top four defense possession, possession rate yep. Yep, yep. Uh, but top pairing for even strength offense he he does a very nice job of generating offense at even strength and a lot of it has because he he has a very nice shot he does so. he gets it off he gets it off well that's it's the other thing with with Marta is that paying him slightly over four mil for a top four defenseman you're okay with that <laughs> yeah I think most teams would be yeah so even if he only – I don't think his ceiling will be this, but even if, say, he, he plateaus out and only becomes a, a number four defenseman, um, that'll be okay. Sorry. Chicago's at it again. What have I done now? 
Fleischman and Dale Weiss from Montreal in exchange for Philip Deneau and Chicago's 2018 second-round pick. Jesus Christ. (sighs) Bloody Chicago. Must be fun being a Chicago fan at the moment. You know what I mean? Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, come on. They're just beating and dealing and just doing this and that and still winning games and just being awesome. It's like, it's got to be fun. You know, they went through a lot of pain there for a while. So, you know, what goes around comes around. It's it's great for them. Sucks for the rest of us. Dale Weiss off the board is uh, reassuring for for me following Pittsburgh. I, I didn't think that he's really all that great but once again chicago yeah. 2018 second round pick it's like all right whatever i'm sorry i'm just reading through my twitter feed as we talk here and everyone's like what the hell chicago come on it's just brilliant <sighs> better lock counter mcdavid away <laughs> yeah <laughs> lock him up early Fucking guy will get traded to Chicago for a 2019 third round pick at this rate. <laughs> Lock him like... up, Edmonton. Lock him in a cage. Oh, Chicago's coming. So, sorry to interrupt from the Ali Mata talk, but, you know, we were talking Chicago. I thought that was relevant. All right, that's brilliant. All um, right, so we. You know, any? Do you have anything else you want to add about Mata? No, 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 no. I think it's a great deal for both parties, and I, I, I think, I think by the end of it, Mata will be underpaid. I do, I do believe that. So. Yeah, and that's that, this is the thing. It works out well for both both player and the team. So. Shifting from all of Chicago's shenanigans, um, we'll stick with <laughs> Pittsburgh, and we'll let's talk about what what they will do at this deadline. Um, Josh Yoey of DK on Pittsburgh Sports has said that Pittsburgh's looking for a defenseman, and not necessarily a top four defenseman because that will be difficult to acquire; the cost will be too high. And they do they they are aware of their not great pool of futures. So, is there anything you see them doing? Getting players back um, and have them healthy. It's it's one of those things where it's really funny. I looked at the score of the. I haven't actually watched the Pittsburgh Boston game. Um, but you look at the score of that and you go, is this team close or are they just a mirage? And that's the challenge for any general manager of any team. Am I going to throw my hat in the ring here and, and, and bank on this team? Or am I just going to sit tight and just see if the roster gets itself right and rely on the fact that we think we've got a pretty well-constructed team? I'm a little higher on the, the back six than what you are. I think that's been the case all year. Um and I think I've gotten more confident with the, the back six with the coaching change. Um, I, I just think they need to work out their combinations and, and they'll, they'll be fine. 
the biggest problem Pittsburgh have had is they've had no one to finish anything. You know, you get Malcolm back, all of a sudden Kessler will play better. Um, you get to push Cullen down the lineup. You get Benito back, it pushes pushes everyone down the lineup again. Hopefully you've still got further come back. And then you've, you've still got Broken Man Bennett that might come back. And, and all of a sudden, that those really good AH, the, the players that have played really well from the AHL are suddenly only playing 10 or 11 minutes a night. And that's great. And, and all of a sudden, that forward depth, I think can be good enough to cover for the defensive holes that this team has. I just don't know where they go to fill that missing link. Do you know what I mean? Uh, missing link is in the back end. Well, I think there's some lower end bottom pairing guys they can target, not guys that are going to cost a lot of money. That's all they can afford. So, where do you go to? So who who are you who are you trying to essentially who are you trying to replace in the lineup? Are you trying to make sure that Lovejoy and Cole don't play? Is that basically what you're trying to do? Well, if Lovejoy comes back, definitely one of Lovejoy or Cole is not playing, regardless, because I don't think they'll take Derek Pouliot out of the lineup. I don't think Daly's coming out. Dumoulin's not coming out. Mata's not coming out. Maybe they'll take Latang out. <laughs> no. Um, no. You get my argument, though, don't you? It's like, okay, so they want to bring someone in, right? Grabbing someone that... From they want insurance four... because they know yeah. they get hurt every damn year. <laughs> so what have they got to give up to get something back? Well, it depends on what you're fishing for. You may not have to give up all that much. So would you give up a second-round draft pick for a bottom-pairing defenseman like San Jose did? No. No, and I think the problem you've got with that San Jose deal is that it it pushes what Pittsburgh should be paying outside of what they should be paying, and you run the risk of it being old man Rutherford being old man Rutherford. Well, I think there are some guys out there that I, I'm kind of looking at, and I think you Real can hot. get them for... Reel them off. Should I reel them off for the podcast or save them for a blog? No, 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 no. All right. Patrick Weirkoch, Ottawa. He's been a healthy scratch lately. Uh, Very good underlying possession numbers. I think he could be definitely fit in on pretty much almost any roster in the NHL in a bottom pairing role. Shouldn't take too much to acquire him and his salary's low. So there's one option. Have we spoken about him in the past? I think we might have mentioned him, yes. Two, under-the-radar guy, depending on where New Jersey falls in all of this, David Schlenko. Good possession stats. uh, If given a proper role, which would be a bottom-pairing role, which would be the role that Pittsburgh would be using someone like that in. Makes under a million dollars. Good underlying numbers. Shouldn't cost a ton to acquire. True. Third one, a little bit more pizzazz with the name, even though he, he's kind of fizzled a little bit over the years, is Justin Schultz of Edmonton. I'm pretty sure Edmonton wants to move on. I'm almost definitely sure that Schultz would like to move on. He's an RFA. Be curious to see what. Edmonton's willing to part with him. I I do think he'll be traded. Yeah. 
you have to qualify him at a minimum of $3 million in the offseason, but you don't have to qualify him. You could just let him walk. So, I think those are three guys that would fit the qualifications of what they're looking for about impaired depth guy. Slim guy is really interesting because Jersey have four games behind, have played four more games in Pittsburgh, right? And they're one point behind them. When does Jersey make that? Like Jersey have got. How do you make that decision that you, you you're going to pull the pin on it? Because their next game is March one, so they don't play again until after the deadline. Uh huh. It's a mess. This will be a, this will be a real test for Sharrow and 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 how he's gone about changing his thought processes. But I think I think those are three. The weird coach one really, the weird coach one intrigues me a lot, to be honest, um, because he's they they were trying to play him with Carlson at one stage, weren't they? And wasn't he doing it? Oh no, that's method. I get them mixed up all the time. So yeah, third third pairing defenseman most definitely. Yeah, and you have to understand what Pittsburgh wants. They're not looking to place this person in the top four role. You're not looking to extend them past what kind of their skill set is. No, you've got to put a player in a position to succeed. I think they're comfortable with Latang Mata, Daly Dumoulin, Pouliot, and Bill and Whoever Blank. can fill that spot, yeah. Maybe some nights that is Ben Lovejoy. But they would have the option of having a pretty respectable seventh defenseman regardless. And that could be Ben Lovejoy. I think Ben Lovejoy catches more flack than he should because of the Dupre trade. And I also think there's room to say we can do better here. So I think a lot of people tend to go really black and white on Ben Lovejoy when really it's, man, what a shitty trade. Why do we have this guy for what we gave up? He's okay in a bottom pairing role, but if we can do better, that's okay too. You know what? Yeah. You know how it's kind of like that mixed bag, and not everybody, I don't think, kind of views it that way. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. So, I think those are potential things to look for for Pittsburgh. I I wouldn't start chasing. I don't know who's who's even out there defensively. Who knows? I just that's, I just don't know. Okay, shifting gears. Some tweets I saw today, kind of relating to Penguins trade talk that maybe, well, I shouldn't say maybe isn't going to happen. Uh, Pittsburgh is not going to trade Matt Murray, at least according to GM Jim Rutherford. But there is a really high perceived value on this player around the league. Uh, Darren Dreger, tremendous value. I'd be close to shocked if Rutherford considered dealing him, really. I also know how Matt Murray is viewed around the National Hockey League. He could trade, he being Jim Rutherford, could trade him in the next 60 seconds. So, 
this is quite an asset that's come out of nowhere for Pittsburgh, really. I don't think when they drafted Matt Murray, they thought they were going to have the heir apparent to Marc-Andre Fleury and or a really blue chipper trade piece. But it's certainly shaping up that way. Yeah, that's the it's the thing with goalies. Where did Henrik Lundqvist get drafted? They're just so hard to, to pick. So you get there with this, this whole Murray situation and, and I'm glad to hear that they go, we don't want to trade him. They'd have to have their socks blown off sort of thing. So it's like they got their socks blown off, theory being Pittsburgh will be getting back a very, very good asset the other way, right? It's the only reason you'd, you'd trade him away. But you do get there and go, Fleury's getting older. His consistencies are coming back to being consistent again. Um, what do you do? You're going to end up having a – you've got the hero parent coming through. That's perfectly obvious. You, you've got Fleury who, whilst he's been great this year, is starting to trend the wrong way. How – Quickly, does management have to make that decision on the whole? When do we switch to the new goalie? Million dollar question. It's almost six million dollar question. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. It's it's a five million seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar question, basically. I tend to think that you got all these teams that are looking at Matt Murray. And clearly wanting him, it's multiplized, multiple organizations that are valuing him. And his numbers speak for themselves. You watch him play. He does a great job with his angles, uh, playing big and and just shutting things down. He's not, it's not in the mold of a flurry where athleticism is the catalyst for success. He's, he's more in the mold of, and I'm not comparing the two, but Lundqvist, Angles, big blocks, shots, where flurry, agile, saves shots. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, no, it does. They're two, they're two very different styles. <clears throat> Fleury's all motion, although he's settled down as he's gotten older. Murray is economy of movement. He he makes sure there are no holes because he's not moving. He just knows where he needs to be on the ice for his angles, and the the, the puck hits him as opposed to Fleury, who is aggressive at the puck and makes a save rather than having the puck to sit him. Although it's hitting him more and more as he's getting older and older. He's less aggressive in not using that athleticism as much, but probably because he's in position. So um, the flexibility of having uh, Murray there, having Tristan Jerry as well, um, helps Pittsburgh in this situation. But those cap savings only occur, and the benefit of having Murray only occur if they trade Fleury. And I just checked his NTC. There's 18 teams that he gives at the start of every year that he's happy to get traded to. So it's more than half the league that can take him on if they want to. Um, you brought up Jari. Yeah. I actually uh, saw him play in person uh, about a day after we recorded the last podcast they were in oh yeah they were in rochester the same day pittsburgh played buffalo yep 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 now i took my four-year-old daughter to the game and it was obviously a lot of fun and all that so it wasn't quite you know you were playing pro scout yeah i wasn't you know i watched <laughs> what i could and, you know we were there having fun but um he 
much more flurry than Murray. Very athletic. Actually, it was very weird to see a Penguins goaltender handle the puck really well. He He's very good at it. Well, that's good. That's a nice check. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> a lot of sequences I noticed he had paddled down when things got jammed up close. Uh, had a little trouble with screens, uh, peeking through, that kind of stuff. He had two rebound goals going on him. But I'm not going to judge him based on my half-assed one-game in-person scouting report. But it was nice to just <laughs> see how he, he moved about. And that he could play the puck. Those are things that I know seeing this time. Like, oh, okay, that's within his skill set. I'm not willing to, you know, make an evaluation on him as an overall goaltender. I think that would be quite foolish. But it's nice to see this this style. What's with this logical thinking? Yeah, well, you know, busy buying cotton candy and, and whatnot. So... Um, so it's, it's, that's the thing I can see, excuse me, if you get there and go, we're going to stick with Fleury all the way through the end of his contract. And, and that's what we're going to stick with. You've got this trade piece and you go, everybody's saying how valuable he is, but it's like, is he valuable for an untested goalie or is he actually a valuable piece upon which would get you a roster player back ready to go to help you in the next couple of years? Because if you tie yourself to the end of Fleury's contract, as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of the window. You know how you're talking about the Shea Weber deal? Mm -hmm. If you tie yourself to Fleury to 2018-19, that's it. Like, if you get rid of Murray, that's it. It's it's, it's done. Same with – and maybe Jari can come in and and be the surprise that, that Murray is, but like you said, everybody is really high on, on, on what Murray's provided. He's looked good when he's actually played at the NHL level. Um, I'm not suggesting you trade Fleury like in the next two and a half days. It, it's more about decisions are going to have to be made at the end of the year, what direction this franchise is going to go, because they need cap space if they want to add uh, a top four defenseman next year. Out of the big ticket items for Pittsburgh... Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Fleury, Kessel. I think th- three of them I don't even think about moving. I think you know which three those are. 87, 71, 58. Kessel's at 6.8. You just got him. He's probably not going to be moved. But goaltending, popular topic on this podcast. <laughs> But you're pushing six mil there. You you got a guy that's past 30. You have a st- perceived stud coming up through that no, teams are crawling right over to try and get. And, and the GM, is, to his credit, said, uh-uh, nope, not happening. Which I think is a very interesting message of, yeah, I could trade him. I probably could get something for him, but I'm kind of got a big picture view on this one and we're going to keep him. So I think within the next year and a half, they got to choose. Yeah. That's the thing. It's what's that window. I, you and I have had this conversation on and off the podcast in regards to when should they, when should they cut bait from flurry? And it's, it's such a difficult decision to make. You do it too early. You're left with Murray and no one while Murray's going through 
growing pains with a team that is still trying to compete with the Cup while they've got Sid and Malkin and, and Latang. So that transition is going to be a tough one. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, if Murray's really good, the transition's quite easy. Yeah, they've got to they've got to allow that. They've got to allow Murray the chance to do that, though. Like you, you get there, and he probably easy to say this now because we're three quarters of the way through the year. But you go, you probably should have been the backup this year. Um, and then they could make that that hard decision this off season. But it looks to me like he'll be the backup next year, and they'll have to. And I think they should make that hard decision at the trade deadline and trade Fleury. Well, I think he's already the backup now. I mean, they called him up to Buffalo. And we're like, I think he, no I thanks, Zach Yeah, and, <clears throat> excuse me, you do sit there with it and you go, if they play him as the backup the rest of the way now, um, if Fleury turns into Fleury circa blow this team up, then Murray's your guy. You know, it feels a little bit like St. Louis with Jake Allen and, and Brian Elliott in, in regards to there's an established guy in there, but they think the younger guy is going to be better and the younger guy comes in and he's better, but then he gets injured and Elliott comes back. So they're going to have to rely on Allen now the rest of the way, St. Louis. Oh, there's no doubt about it. If, if Fleury um, blows up, plays poorly, mind you, I'm officially going to say I don't think that's going. I, I think Fleury's played well this year. Yep. And last year, for that matter. Yep. But if he's hurt, which, by the way, one of Fleury's most um, qualities traits. Yeah, oh, yeah. is that he's very, very durable, which which gives yep. him value. You know, you can rely on him to be healthy. But let's say he's either blowing up or gets hurt. Jeff Zakoff's not going in. It's Matt Murray. They already believe in him that much. Yeah. So if you if you feel that way about about your goaltending prospect already, when do you? That's the thing. When do you commit? It's these gut feel things that separate the good GMs from the bad GMs. Um, I would take and, the risk sooner than most. Yeah, but you. I reckon. I reckon you've proved that with players in general, not just goalies, but your theory in general is go with the guys younger, one, they're cheaper, and two, if they do surprise you, you, you're playing with house money, if they disappoint you slightly, they're still cheaper. Because you've got to pay pay your top-end talent. Like, all right, let's paint a worst-case scenario for for Pittsburgh here. They trade Flurry away, and I, I... Honest to God, I, I don't even know what I would put on a trade value for that. Goalies are so weird with it. Let's say they trade him for a draft pick that just doesn't pan out. So we're talking worst case scenario. Matt Murray comes in, he starts playing below average. Okay, so this yep. wow, this this isn't looking good at all. Jesus, what, what a mistake the Penguins have made. I would still argue you're gonna find average goaltending eventually. And it's not going to cost all that much. You look at a Michael Neuverth in Philadelphia this year. He was playing too good for Buffalo last year and got traded away because they wanted to tank. He goes in, backs up Mason this year. He's playing great again. He makes all of one point three million dollars. That's you running. Or sorry, sorry. one point six. Sorry. 
I was just going to say that's that's you running on that theory that average goaltending. So, nine is it nine twenty one? That's the average this year. Even strength goaltending. Yep. Yeah, nine twenty one five on five save percentage gives your team a chance to win every night. If you can put goaltending like team. that, if you got a good team, if you can put goaltending like that behind a playoff team, then as the coaching staff and the management staff, you just worry about the rest of what the team's doing, and your goaltender will do what they're supposed to do. Um, it, there are so many different ways to to skin a Stanley Cup winning cat. You, you look at like. The Rangers relied on Lundqvist all the way through, and because their team wasn't quite up to it, his ridiculous save percentage couldn't carry them through. You look at the way Boston do it. Uh, sorry, you look at the way LA do it with Jonathan Quick, and then Chicago do it with Corey Crawford. Um, there's so many different ways to go about doing this. Um, I When Pittsburgh won look, it off, Fleury was not good. No, he was good the year before. But he was he's not, awesome he, the year before. And that's what got him the clout early on in his career. But the Stanley Cup winning year, he was actually below average in the playoffs. He was not at eight. Now, now that does not take away from Game Six, Game Seven against Detroit. That is not, or the breakaway save he made on Ovechkin. But overall body of work, you know, he wasn't he wasn't that good during that run. No, he not was like not, he was the year before. I am almost certain, without looking this up, his save percentage that playoff year was 908. All situations. Mm-hmm. And and that team won the Stanley Cup against one of the best possession teams of the possession era, if or the statistical era, if you if you want to look at it that way. So you can you can win it with subpar goaltending. But if you have a look at that Penguins roster, like Latang was a fourth defenseman developing coming up. They had um, Brooks Olpik playing well with Sergei Gonchar. Like that, that back six were the reason that they got to where they got to. They managed to slow things down a little bit um, for the other team's best players. The thing that's funny about that is you get Hal Gill and Rob Scuderi, who were considered the shutdown pair that they put out against Ovechkin every shift, and Ovechkin tore up that series. So there are times where you just can't shut a player down anyway, and you just have to pray that your star player beats their star player. And Pittsburgh were lucky enough that... that um, they had two. Crosby <laughs> did. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. They did have two. It was, you know, Backstrom wasn't quite the Backstrom he is now, and Semin was inconsistent. So, you know, Pittsburgh stars did a little bit better. That's what won them the, won them the game, the series. So I'm looking at another goaltending situation in the NHL right now that I think it could play out similar. Yeah. So Detroit, Jimmy Howard was, you know, he had a few good years there. But Peter Mrazek is their starter now, making under a million dollars. He's up as an RFA this year. Howard makes 5.2 mil for till 2018-19, much like Flurry. They've, they've handed it over already, and Mrazek... Yeah, you can't, you can't pay the backup that much money. So you're going to have to ship him out. And like you said, if you go, well, who do they back him up with? It's like, well, there's going to be average goaltending for a backup anyway out there as UFAs. So do that. The thing with goaltending in the NHL is think of it like a sandwich with thin buns and a lot of meat in the middle. The thin I buns... think it's a brilliant analogy. 
<laughs> that is brilliant. Thin at top, true elite guys. Thin at bottom, true shit guys. I mean, not a lot there on either end. There's a lot in the middle, though, and that's where most of it is. And you can find guys at many different price points. And I've seen graphs and charts that show correlation between money spent on goaltending versus production. And the correlation, it's not very high. So while I do understand people's trepidation and moving on from Marc-Andre Fleury, especially considering his last two years have been pretty good, I'm willing to take the risk of moving on with the young guy, saving that salary cap space, allowing Pittsburgh to make better or make use of it to, to get better roster players in front of the goaltender and trust that even if Matt Murray falls flat on his face, which I do not believe is going to happen, they can find somebody that's going to just be there and not be a total pig. Yeah, no, it's, well, you look at what you look at what true, truly terrible goaltending did to Montreal's season. So yeah, you they can't did a totally... terrible job with it. They did. They really yeah. did. They, they can, like this is the thing. You're not saying you know you can get by with terrible goaltending. All you want is one of those meat patties in the middle to be there, not the bottom bun. Hey, if you end up getting a cheap top bun, great. You, you, you've won the lottery on that one. They may have but, it. They may have it. Yeah, but we're not going to know until, well, you're probably right. You get over the other side of the trade deadline, and I think that they'll just bring Murray up. Yeah, for this year. I, I'm not advocating this flurry trade in the next oh, two no, you've, days. You've Neither are you. Uh, draft trade, boy, that would be quite interesting. I, I just don't think I see a flurry mid-trade thing happening. So I do think if they don't move on from flurry in the offseason, which, by the way, I do not think they're going to do, despite kind of us thinking maybe it could be very prudent to do. I think if they keep them past the, the draft and in the offseason that you're going to see a, another full year of flurry in Pittsburgh, maybe even a 60-40 split. But I would be very surprised if they traded him mid-year. Just because uh, the franchise totally respects him as a person and all that and wouldn't kind of want to do the mid-season shuffle to him. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I know it's a business, but I think that trade, they would treat it almost like a Pascal Dupuis situation to where... They value the human side of it very much and will try to accommodate the player the best that they can while still treating it as a business. Yeah, look, it's one of those things where you and I do talk very cutthroat at times in regards to treating these players purely like assets and not human beings, but the staff at the club and the general... like These are all human beings. They do end up with emotional attachments to people they like, and Fleury is one of those sort of guys that you wouldn't want to do anything bad to. So I could fully understand the point you make there with that. But you can't afford to let that cloud your business judgment. You can have it be a factor, but you can't have it be the main factor. Correct. So, well, how about speaking that? Of, yeah, speak, right? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? No? What the? What the? Flurry just got traded. 
You're lying. Yeah, I am. Um, I think Matt Murray just got called up again. Oh, right. Now, what I was going to say is, talking about emotions, let's talk about Rutherford and his blabbering mouth. <laughs> He's very, um, very willing to talk. Hey, and I, as, as a fan, I, I love the fact that he talks. It's, it's so rare that you get anything real out of any interview in any situation at all. So to have Rutherford actually say what he and, and, and all that sort of stuff is fantastic. But as a fan of the hockey club that he runs... I hate it. I I'm indifferent on it, but I think you know it it shows a disconnect at times with GM and coach. And I think the latest one was Platnikov and Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Plotnikov said something about wanting to go back home to Russia, and Sullivan has buried him since then. Which, I get it. You want guys that are committed. I want my high school players that play for me to be committed. I don't want them, you know, scheduling work hours during practice hours, and, you know, especially not during a game. But that's at the high school level you could understand it at the the professional level. Yeah. But at the same time, the guy spent hundreds of thousands of dollars out of his own pocket to come over here. And now he's watching, you know, guys like Kevin Porter play over him. (laughs) Sorry. You checked yourself then. (laughs) And it's, I can un- I can understand why it's frustrating. I can understand why he would want to go back. Oh yeah, I don't I don't for for wanting to go back. Um, I would be frustrated as hell after doing everything but score before the coaching change. To then not even getting a chance to show that he could do something different, do something similar in a different system. It's like he. I would not blame him at all if he feels shunned and, and, and feels isolated because what are you going to do there? I mean, the coaching staff comes in, you don't even play. Uh, all these guys that he had playing with him down the AHL come up and play in front of you, and you're like, I'm better than these guys. I do some of this stuff better than these guys. Why can't I get in? And you just feel like he's playing favorites. So, yeah, I don't blame the player for wanting out. Um, I do blame the general manager for coming out and making all of this public because it gives the perception that, the room's not happy or that there are favourites being played with and stuff like that. And whilst you kind of sit there and think about it logically, that's always going to be the case. Hockey teams don't traditionally let that sort of garbage out unless things are going wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to die on some Sergei Plotnikov hill by any stretch. No. But I think he... I think he played well. I think he played well with Matt Cullen. I think Matt Cullen's possession numbers with Plotnikov versus away from Plotnikov are, are, are very different. And, yeah, he doesn't have any goals. But Kevin fucking Porter doesn't have any goals neither. Nope. But he can kill penalties. Oh, fuck him and his PK. <laughs> not, not, sorry, Kevin. That, I meant that to be more general. Yes, no, no, I was at him, but sorry. The, the anger in that was enough said, really. That whole philosophy is flawed. 
Oh, and it's been proven time and time again that it's just complete trash. Can anybody still argue that or? Yeah, all the all the old all of the guys that are commentators on the TV who used to play that role try to tell you that you've got to be a special person to play on the penalty kill. They're the ones that are out there on the TV pushing that narrative, and that's because that's what they did when they played, and they want to feel like they still have a place on the ice. So, yes, there is still a stack load of people pushing that narrative, and it drives me nuts. All right, so I pulled it up. Matt Cullen's with or without use. With Sergei Plotnikov this year, Matt Cullen has a 56.1% Corsi 4 percentage. Yep. Pretty good. Cullen apart, 47.8. Almost a 10% difference. Jesus. Now, now, it's 138 minutes. It's not like an enormous sample size. So I don't want to kind of get crazy with it. But Matt Cullen with Kevin Porter, 151 minutes, 46.7. 56.1 with Plotnikov. 46.7 with Porter. Both guys stink with tangible offense this year. But damn it, give me the guy that can push play a little bit better. We'll give you the guy that, the, even if they're not scoring, the puck's at least at the other end of the rink. Plotnikov had a lot of unlucky posts, too. Yeah, he did. Like, he could have got off onto a nice little run there at the start of the year, and this would all be a, a moot point. But... The, the philosophy you run with in regards to, look, if, if you've got two players who aren't scoring, give me the guy that has the puck. Because it means the other team doesn't, I don't have to worry about him screwing up in the defensive zone. And that's that's probably the the way I look at it. I mean, they get Benino back, and then they get Fair back, and Porter's out of the lineup anyway, right? But you still have to try and work out to, how to fill the, the last couple of wingers, wing, wingers on this roster where the puck is not in your end as much as it is theirs. And Plotnikov was doing that. Well, he's Russian. I think that plays into it. Yeah, he's a whinging Russian that wants to play hockey, so he's going to go home to do it. Jeez, no surprise there with that attitude with the way they've treated him. So... Like I said, I mean, it's not the not a hill make or break of Pittsburgh season, but I, I just, it's one of those analytical things where you look at it and you're like, well, there is a significant difference between some of these candidates that you're playing versus not. And just because a guy has to go home, I mean, if you want to play the hard-ass coach thing on him, then, you know, that that's your prerogative. And... That doesn't mean the coach isn't also doing other good things, but that doesn't mean that that's not a mistake. No, that's the thing. It's not a black and white view on Sullivan as a coach. He's done a lot of good things since he's come on board for Pittsburgh. The the possession numbers themselves and the actual tangible wins have been better. And he's managed to get this. I'll put it to you this way. I think Pittsburgh would have been out of a playoff race if the injuries that they had happened with Johnson still as coach, I don't think they'd have got as many wins without Malcolm Benito and Fair as they have. No way. Malcolm was carrying the load the beginning of the year. 
Correct. So you get there and go, I still don't think we've seen the best out of what Sullivan can get out of this current roster. And whilst we've sat here and, and waxed lyrical about not utilising Plotnikov because he would have been a better option than some of the ones they were using, it almost becomes irrelevant because if that roster gets filled in completely with everyone back healthy, which never happens for Pittsburgh, but we run with that theory for a second, you go, at worst, like Plotnikov is your 19th or 20th player because you, you've got... Sheary, Rust, and Wilson, who have all proven that they can play at a third and a fourth line level at the NHL level. So you can just rotate those three through whatever couple of spots you, you've got left because you're going to have Matt Cullen and Eric Fair as your fourth line players. You've got Benino, Bennett, and whoever else you want to whack on that left wing. Is that where you put Wilson, Sheary, or, or, um, or Rust? Because... Everything sort of fills out down that lineup now. As long as Porter's not there, I you you you, 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 you construct it however you want. Yeah, like, he's, he's my Craig that. Adams right now. Yeah, you've made that very clear through Twitter. <laughs> Have I? And you're not wrong. No, but the thing the thing is though, like you you're not wrong with that assessment, and it's. It's a blind spot that every coach has. Every single coach has a blind spot of a player that they constantly give opportunities to because there's something in them that they see that no one else can see and no one else can make sense of why they're doing it. With Bosmer, it was always the hardworking guy, and I think it's because it reminded uh, Bosmer of himself, and he didn't want to let that player down because he could see how hard they worked just to get into the league he wanted to keep throwing them back out there because, well, they deserved it purely based on effort to get there. And I don't know whether it's the case with Kevin Porter and, and Mike Sullivan. I, I don't get it because it's the only only roster decision that, that really baffles me in regards to what he's put on the ice with the players he's had available. That is the one that, that baffles me. You know, Kunuckle, I, I get he's just a, a, a tweener. He's an up-and-down guy. Whatever he is is what he is. Scott Wilson, I, I think, can actually play. Like, he was the leading goal scorer in the AHL before he came up. Um, and you can see that he can shoot. Maybe he gets some confidence. And they've got a scoring option on that fourth line. <coughs> Excuse also me. Also overlooked is Wilson's larger NHL sample size. I think Kevin Porter was the center. Uh, what, down or up? What's that? Porter was the center of the AHL or both? I think during the NHL when he's been called up. Well, it can't be Cullen because Cullen's the number two center. Kevin Porter's his most common line mate. At, out of the 135 minutes he's played in the NHL this year, 85 have come with Porter. And he still managed to score a couple. Three. Three goals in three games. So I'm uh, Nick Benino looks to be back, and I think uh, Wilson should remain on that left wing. I think Bennett is in fairer close to being back. Bennett, I get it; you can't rely on him much. I still think he's a I still think he's a good player, um, but but I do agree with the the people that are critical of his ability to be relied on. I think anything he gives is a bonus at this point. 
I would oh, still, yeah, I would still tender him an offer in the offseason. I'm willing to take that kind of risk on a player under a million dollars. But I wouldn't rely on him, and that's fine. You still got Rust and Sherry and other guys that can AHL guys that have they did okay. I don't think Pittsburgh has to get into that trading for a forward market. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I I think I'm higher on this roster than a lot of Penguins fans are. Um, And that's mainly because I think what they've done this year is made sure that Malcolm comes back healthy. Like, I reckon he probably could have played... If they were in that playoff push they were last year, he'd have played... Two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Thank you for bringing him up, by the way. Thank God we don't have to watch another game in a row without that guy in the game. Good Lord. <laughs> but the entertainment then, value without him just sinks. Well, you put it, whenever it's a power play, the, you just you know want to hit fast forward for two minutes until you know our power play gets off the ice in, in reality. I don't want to hit but fast forward, but it's annoying at some of the things they do without Malkin. I, look, as good as Sid is, and Sid is good at a lot of things, he has to stay on that goal line. He can't play that half wall. It's just it's just how it is. Malkin plays it better than him. And that's not a knock on Sid. It's just that that's how good at it Malkin is. So, you know, I think this roster is going to be okay. I... I you, you've said this before in a couple – I think you might have said it in the podcast last week and also in a couple of your articles. Pittsburgh trade deadline acquisitions are going to be getting healthy. That, that's basically it, is getting Malcolm back, getting Fair back, getting Benino back, getting however many games that a Bennett they do when he gets back eventually, um, and making sure that um, they grab maybe one bottom-pairing D-man for a – Second round draft pick in two thousand eight. I don't know. Like, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as high as second round. I, I want to keep those. I know you want to keep them, and you've made a really good argument as to why you want to keep them. The more you have in that second round, the better off you are. But I reckon that's what you. I reckon a second is what you're going to have to pay for Patrick Wierkoch. No, don't agree. I hope you're right. I he's really a, hope I'm wrong. He's a healthy <laughs> scratch right now. Yeah. Speaking of healthy scratches, I noticed that Cody Franzen is one tonight out in California for Buffalo. He might not leave California. Add add me to that list, or add, sorry, add him to that list of Weirkoch, Justin Schultz, David uh, Schlemko, maybe an Ian Cole-centered deal for Franzen. I feel for Ian Cole. It went all. It just all fell apart on me. You know? But you know, I'm not saying that's probable, but no. Hey, look, it, it's gone. We've had deals happen whilst we've been doing the podcast for crying out loud. Um, yeah, Chicago's it's, it's made like, like eight during this one tonight. Yeah, I saw a. I did see a I did see a tweet just a second ago from DK on DK on Pittsburgh Sports saying Chicago Blackhawks trade for Mario Lemieux, Gordy Howe, somebody, somebody for a bunch of draft picks, and I thought that's pretty much how it feels at the moment with Chicago. I believe you left out Brett Hall, Bobby Orr, Doug Hart. That's the Ken one Dryden. I was after. 
you saw it too. So you get there with it, and, and it's like that's kind of how it feels. Like it, it must be so fun to be a Chicago fan to have that excitement of oh my god, that's great. Or you get there and think, what the hell did they do that for? Knowing full well that you weren't going to make the playoffs and you're most likely going to win your first round matchup, but it's it, it's going to be a lot of fun to do that because I remember that excitement when Pittsburgh were were like that. You know, 2008, 2009, even in, in 2010 when um, when Montreal beat them, um, it, that, that, that three year run was was an awful lot of fun to watch and the excitement of bringing players in and 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 the feeling of moving forward every year was was great so um enjoy it while you can you know not all of chicago's moves have panned out no they haven't timonen and vermette did not have huge impacts during their run last year what did have an impact on the run all their studs stayed healthy Yeah. yeah 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 funny how that works god damn the penguins have been unfortunate with yeah, that I have. and yeah, when they've been healthy the guy we talked about for an extended period of time decided he was not going to play good hockey yes he made a conscious effort to be bad <laughs> uh, I, I did not say that but that I did, did happen yeah it did no you look you can't deny you have a look at that run and you just go holy crap it was just terrible but you know, he's good this year, and if there's any time for him to make it up, it's to go and have a 2008 Stanley Cup run that he did the year they they came runner-up. So that, that to me, with with this roster, would be enough for them to, to make the Cup Finals. If he if he played like 2008, they make the Cup Finals. Yeah, I think most would. He was, he was unreal. Well, I think he unreal. Made- you made the call. If they wanted, he would have got the con Smythe. Yeah, he definitely should have too. And that was with Sid and Gino playing out of their minds too, because that team wasn't great. Well, it was those two guys, Hosa, Gonchar, and yeah, the, the depth didn't really sort of fill down. That was Feds, wasn't it, as well? Um, Dupuy as a fourth liner. They hadn't got Kunitz yet. No, they hadn't. They still had Ryan Whitney at that point. Still had Whitney play in the back door. I do love his comments in regards to thank you, Sid, for the millions of dollars you got me on that back door play. I still find that very amusing. Yeah, that that's good. He he does have a great sense of humor. It's unfortunate that his foot ankle thing didn't. It, it really fell apart. Well, that's for pretty hard. That's that's what that's what you know killed his career, but. He's always said he's felt very fortunate for what he's got out of his hockey life. He'd be great on TV, I think. Yeah, he's already got a podcast, so I guess he's a competitor. So we're not going to mention start him tearing him again. down. Fuck Ryan Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nah, he is funny. He's good. I I was critical of uh, him as a just a random message board commenter guy back in the day I, I was very happy the day that they traded him for Kunitz because I was following the Ducks at the time as kind of my West Coast team Yeah, because I went out West and uh, saw that 2007 team in the playoffs in person and fell in love with Getzlaff and Perry like <laughs> those guys were really young and I don't think had a lot of national cachet at that point in time 
and I'm watching them and I'm like, Jesus, these guys are freaking good. I'm why aren't why isn't there a bigger deal made about them? And um, you know, Kunitz was a part of that team, so I'm watching uh, Solani, McDonald, and Kunitz on a line, and then I think it was Getzlaff, Perry, Penner, and I was just loving it. I, I thought that was just a, a really fun team to watch. And, and when they traded for Kunitz, I was, you know, very happy. And I know that he's a polarizing guy now, but he's he's been really good for a long time. And even though he's not quite at that level anymore, damned if I'm going to say he's like a complete liability. Would you rather he's him not-, not be on Sid's line? Yeah, I get that. But possession... Uh, flow of play is not being severely impacted. You do want more offense from him, but you know, I have to, he, he's not the tire fire people make him out to be, even though his hands aren't where they, they need to be anymore. No, but that cost is prohibitive for him getting closer to being a tire fire though. That's the, that's where you, that's the problem. If it's, it's 3.8 mil is one of your worst contracts, you're doing okay. No, no, I get that. That's that's not the thing. Every, every team has a couple of contracts that you just sort of shake your head at. And now that Scuderi's is gone, his is that. His is that bad contract that they've got. Nah, that that's not even close to being in the same ballpark. No, I'm not saying it. That's, that's the point that I'm making. It's like you've gone from having, my God, what kind of a contract is that to... Chris Kunitz is our worst contract for production and, and, and value. And you go, meh. Uh, let's see here. Hold hold on a second. I'm going to look something up. Uh-oh, this is where are you? 12 and 21. All right. 33. Sorry, listeners. All right. Chris Kunitz, the evil Chris Kunitz, has 28 points. Patrick Hornquist has 33. Yeah, it's that it's that work rate buy. We've discussed that before. I mean, Chris Kunitz has 11 goals. Patrick Hornquist has 12. And you want to start talking about contract value? Yeah, and look, we've had that conversation on this podcast about Hornquist. We have. I'm just saying Kunitz needs to be better for them to be a cup-caliber team, but I'm not going to pile on like he's some kind of plague. Anything else you want to cover? Is there anything we've missed? I mean, we're heading into the very exciting 72 hours. I don't know. Is there any like player that we're kind of foregoing? I mean, the next time we we speak to you guys is going to be after the trade deadline. So um, seems to play a couple. It's going to be times. a bunch of hindsight talk. We want to get ahead of this game. We want to be wrong before <laughs> <laughs> wrong before everybody else. <laughs> I mean, any asshole can just do this stuff in hindsight. We want to be wrong first. I don't know. I the, the thing that the thing that I find fascinating with this are those situations that we did discuss last week for the important players to their teams that are currently at the end of their deal and are about to leave. 
So you've got St. Louis, you've got Tampa. Who else is there? So I, actually, I want to ask you a quick question. What does New York do? The Rangers, what the hell do they do? The Rangers? Yeah. Well, they're unique in the sense that, hey, Henry, you feeling good tonight? Good, good. What Can we get you anything? <laughs> um, they're always in a good spot with him. Ah, man. What do they do with Yandel? What do they do with Yandel? They may lose Yandel for nothing, which would kind of sting a little bit. Well, that would be bad asset management for what they gave up for him. But <laughs> Well, they went into a win-now thing, and now they're paying the cost for it. They went win-now for with Lundqvist, and, you know, I understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you give up Duclair. Was there a first-round pick with that one? I think so. They gave up a lot. This is the thing. There was a lot given up for, for two years of Yandel with no promise of there being a signature on the line. And, and you get there and it boils off the books, I suppose, as well uh, this year. But like looking at it for the win now, now, do they need to do they need to find a, a replacement for Boyle or or, or, or um, Dan Girardi now? Can they? get someone in there that's going to be better than those guys. Well, anybody's better than Girardi. He's the Scuderi of the Rangers. So how do you fix it? Well, you can't fix that contract. That 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 is a worse contract than Scuderi. Uh, but for the Yandel trade, Duclair, lottery-protected first-round draft pick in 2016, and a second-round pick in 2015. So... First, second, and Duclair for two years of Yandel. Yeah, that was an overpayment. But like you said, it was a win now move, and then they did make can't... the final. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like you get there with it, and it's like, well, they gave it a red hot crack, and this is the the result. I don't know. They just, I, I look at, I look at that. I look at that roster for New York and I go, there's no goalie in the East that I would bank on them beating Lundqvist in seven games, right? But that's not to say that the team in front of Lundqvist is actually going to score on the other other goalie. So I just I don't know. Hey, they're sitting comfortably in second place in the Metro Division, so you can't really complain too much about what they're doing. But just don't trust them this year. Shooting percentage driven early in the year by a lot. I mean, you, you hear a lot of reports uh, around the, the Rangers saying the teams are happy with how they're playing. They know they've got to get better at you know this, this, and this. Yet it doesn't seem to improve, and Lundqvist just seems to cover up the problems. So it's like, well, why change? If he can do it, why change? Right. So... All right, you snuck some New York Rangers in there. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Don't seem happy about that. Oh, it's the Rangers. Look, I try to look at. I try to look at this sport as as uh, unemotionally as I possibly can, right? And there are just situations where I can't do it, 
and New York and, and, and Philadelphia are definitely two of those teams that I just struggle to look at without negative eyes. So hopefully I was reasonable in that situation. You were okay. That's a change. <laughs> All right. So I have nothing else. I don't think you have anything else, correct? No, we're tapped out. We are tapped out. So sorry we didn't predict the Evgeny Malkin trade that's happening for player depth. Uh, that's going to happen on Monday. But, you know, Magic 8 is not working. That that just needs to be edited out. That's terrible saying that. That's just earth shattered. Malkin's back Saturday. That's going to be great. Mm -hmm. But when we when we get to talk next, we're going to have who knows how much to talk about. Um, I do think, as with every trade deadline, there'll be there'll be some there'll be a lot to talk about. I think. Like we said before, the trade deadline in this sport is one of the more fascinating ones to track. So I look forward to speaking with all of you via Twitter during those time periods. And uh, I'll have some trade blogs coming up on Hockey Buzz in the next few days. So it should be an enjoyable time for hockey fans coming up in the next three days. And uh, we will see you next time. Until then, 